Hey, everybody, if you love combat sports such as MMA, Kyokushin, boxing, BJJ, etc., make sure to hit the like, share, subscribe, and comment button on the Drew Spirians channel, the show that's 80% combat sports and 20% everything else. Thank you to the supporters of Marshall Way Blog, One Kyokushin, KRT Tips and Tricks, and Real Talk that the Marshall Way hosts with Shian Terry Burkett. These three pages. I work together with them in order to grow Kyokushin Karate. So no matter the association or level you are in Kyokushin, if you have content to share to grow Kyokushin Karate, make sure to like and message us and we'll do what we can to help your page or pages grow. Also, thank you to the supporter Moments Management. If you're an up-and-coming fighter, especially in my Kyokushin crowd, if you're looking to go prof- professional, finding a good manager is very hard. Luckily, there's Moments Management where Nima Safapur and his team will make sure you understand what you're getting into with pro fighting and that you are educated for before, during, and after, so you leave healthy and wealthy. Moments management, where quality and care come first. And also, if you're in Quebec, you want to take up martial arts, and you want to get into Kyokushin, I always recommend Kyokushin Boucherville with uh, Shian Pierre Catafor and his amazing team of other senseis and Shian, such as Sensei Joanne Fournier, amongst others, and Aikeo Nakamura. If you're looking to learn new habits, discover a tradition with martial arts, make sure to check them out. Aikeo Nakamura, if you're looking to take your health into your hands and develop good habits and uh, discover a vast new community and make new friendships, they are the ones to look forward to. And with that, we'll get to our guest. One. Hey, everyone, this is the Drew Spirience, the show that's 80% combat sports and 20% everything else. Tonight's guest is a big legend in the Kyokushin scene. I've waited a long time to do this, and he, we finally agreed to do it. So I, I have to have a list of accolades for this man here. He is a, a Shian, but not only is he a Shian, he's an entrepreneur being an author of not one but two books. I have one here, The Young Lion, uh, Young Lions, my bad, excuse me for that. He's also uh, done done a documentary on the 100-man kumite. He runs uh, a Chikara Dojo in Australia. He's also ran it in in, uh, Thailand, too, before coming back. Uh, Inspiration for many. He's sought out for for his work in Kyokushin. He is the one, the only Xi'an Jude Reed. Welcome to the show, Xi'an Judd. Wow. Thank you for having me on your show, Drew Michaels. What an intro. You're the man, mate. You're an absolute champion. Thank you so much for those kind words. And yeah, you're pumping it right up. But uh, no, it's uh, it's uh, thank you for your time. And uh, it's great to be on your show, mate. Well, thank you. It's been a long time. Every time we had dialogue, it'd be like we had to push it. And then I think I think what happened was when I had Nicholas on uh, Sensei Nick, I think that's when uh, when you probably saw it and you put and then that's when I guess the timing was right. That's it. That's who everyone's like. Also, the other side of the planet there. We're all we're all busy. So no, it's good. So um, yeah, mate, let's let's have a good chit chat. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So Xi'an, you know, we all know who you are as a Xi'an. Uh, the book says itself, but I don't want to go off on tangents with the book. So I want to hear it from you so people can understand who was Xi'an Judd before becoming Xi'an and how did you discover and fall in love with Kyokushin as a young Judd Reed? Oh, okay. Well, Xi'an Judd is always just Judd Reed. <laughs> yeah, just, um, well, I, I, I guess I to start by, I started karate when I was 12 years of age. Um, and like young, like young, most kids at that time, we watched Bruce Lee movies and, mm-hmm. and, and inspired by that. So that's really how it all began. Yeah, just watching Bruce Lee movies and having a lot of energy and 
as a young kid and perhaps getting in a little few fights at school and, you know, I think, right, that's it. I want to, you know, stand up to myself and just, you know, and all those things. So that's really what got me inspired, literally, was the Bruce Lee movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the first dojo I walked into was happened to be a Kyokushin school. Mm-hmm. So really it was just by chance. Um, actually, my mum actually had looked through the yellow pages uh, for a martial arts school and the Kyokushin school came up. So I was really through that, just looking through the magazine. Um, and I, I just literally fell in love with Kyokushin the very first class. I was in there, it was very demanding, lots of kicks, lots of lots of uh, high volume training, lots of disciplines, push-ups, sit-ups on the whole, on the old wooden dojo floor in those days where we would train out of a hall. Um, and it was great. Had Shion Eddie there, um, you know, who later on became obviously, you know, my, my first teacher, so just um, and I just loved it. Yeah, I just I just I just loved Kyokushin straight away. It was for me. Yeah. Awesome. There a lot of puking nights too because of all the push-ups and sit-ups. There's a bit of skin off the knuckles. Yeah, a bit of skin off the knuckles and a, a lot of body ache. But uh, yeah, I mean, I used to play football, a team sport, and I just felt that uh, sometimes you play your best and the team would lose. And I was just like, I don't know. I just kind of like, I like the individual sports. That's why I ended up playing a little mm-hmm. bit of golf as well. Actually, I played a lot of golf. So I just like to, to really rely on yourself um, and Kyokushin karate, even though it's in the, even though it's you fight by yourself, but also you represent many people while you fight. I just like that the responsibility responsibility falls on you, falls on your shoulders. How you perform, it's, at the end of the day, it's up to you. So I like that. I like that aspect of, of karate too. That's amazing. I love it. And you know, and I I, I apologize by the way because I forgot to mention in the intro that you were the last of the Uchi Deshi with uh, Sensei Nick. I, I feel I, I'm, ter- I'm terrible. I'm sorry, Shia. <laughs> no, no, Drew, you're awesome, mate. Well, we're going back 32 years ago. Yeah. And I have, and, and sometimes when you're saying things, I'm actually like, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You know, you so can't... You're probably, you're probably yeah. jolting my memory as well. Exactly. So, you know, you became, but before you became Uchi Deshi, this is what I loved in the book. So when I look at the, the Young Lions here, so for those who want to get it, it's on Amazon, free ad read for you to make sure it's a great read, by the way, because it's in Shian Judd's words. And um, so to become Uchi Deshi, when you found out about it, you saved money working as a stock trader. What did that experience teach you about being wise with money? I'm not wise with money, Drew. Trust me. (laughs) Really. Uh, Well, well, yes. So when I was accepted to to be Uchidesh, I had to raise money to go to Japan. And I was a chalky, which a chalky is someone back in those in the stock market, they write the prices on the board. Mm -hmm. Now they use multi multi billion dollar computers to to do that. So everything back then was everything was by chalk. So um, that's really what it was. I actually loved that job. You got, you got me extremely pumped. You had a lot of responsibility with people yelling at different prices. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't teach me anything about money or anything like that. No, no. I, I just I just love the work. It was a, yeah, it was a, a, a great opportunity as a young kid to make make a little bit of money and put that side for Japan. Yeah. Mm. So <laughs> was the was like so was the schedule eat? So basically it was sleep, work, train, repeat. Is that what it was? In the Uchideshi program? No, no, through, before, before, during that when you were a chalky. So was it like? Oh, uh, when I was a chalky, no, when I was a chalky, it was, uh, yeah, well, that, that, like at the stock market, it was a nine to five job, mm-hmm. uh, Monday Monday to Friday. Um, I had just finished school. I didn't actually complete uh, HSC. I finished year 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I was a chalky for like a year and a half, just uh, saving up money to go to Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just a normal job, really. So I'd go there, work. 
And then after that, I would head, head off to training after that as a young kid. Um, that was pretty much it. Yeah, at a young age. It's amazing, like, and like what you talk about, because you said in the chap that period of like some of the friendships you made, like, and you said like some of what we think is like a dead end job nine to five, you meet some of the most amazing people in those uh, environments. Well, exactly. I mean, especially uh, that stock market, when I joined, I think it was 1988. I think the crash was in 87. Mm-hmm. So the, in the, the stock market was very versatile back then. And there was a lot of uh, uncertainty where, what would happen. So it was a very interesting time to work there. And absolutely, you meet a lot of inter- interesting characters in that work, work. If I hadn't gone to Japan, I would have definitely been a stockbroker, would have lived in a big house, sports car, and would have kept my girlfriend. So I gave all that up. <laughs> But you know that's that's life, yeah. yeah. And that's and that's the interesting turns that they have in life. Could have gone that way, could have got that way. Mm-hmm. But my whole reason for being in that stock market as a chalky was to save up money yeah. and to go to Japan. That that was it. I wasn't looking for it as as a career job, but it had the potential to be an absolute career job. Mm-hmm. What I love, you know, what I love too is how you always kept writing out in your journal. I will meet. Uh, Sosai Masoyama. I will go to Japan, and just putting that goal into writing. Do you feel that, you know, because there's something about, they say psychologically, when you write the goal down, it helps you stay focused. Yes, I think so. Um, You know, these days everyone has computers and they type things out. I think that can be a little bit the same, but I think physically if you have a diary, writing things down like that, it just plants that seed deeper in your mind that you must get that done. And if you're writing that continuously and almost being obsessive about it, which is not a bad thing, why can't it come true? If you're driven and you and you give it and you give it a crack and you don't give up, why can it not come true? And, and you know, we're being obsessive and having that uh, uh, determination to see it through. You will make it happen, right? Right. I think so. You will make it happen. You will make sure that you have the context to make it happen. I don't want to sound philosophical and preach, but you will make it happen. You'll open up opportunities for you to do it. So yeah. Pen or pencil on uh, on paper uh-huh. it has a, a lot of has a lot of volume and mm-hmm. uh, yeah you can create things yeah definitely yeah perfect I totally agree so you now you go to Japan and you know you're in Uchideshi and it was like a military camp because of you know you were a foreigner and then you know you it was the other was the other students there too and the dropout rate was extremely high for those because mm. they couldn't keep up with the intensity but you met a certain person and he would become an important i i would say a friend based on how you describe him and it seems like he really you guys really executed on iron sharpens iron tell me how did meeting nick pettis impact your experience in ushideshi yes absolutely nick nick arrived uh, uh, in my second year and he had a huge impact on my experience there as ushideshi um such a lovable kid full of enthusiasm uh, determination he had a lot of grit when he trained he'd always give it his best and he was just a super nice guy and easy person to get along with um and being a nutrideshi uh, you needed that because literally you'd be spending pretty much 24 7 with them uh, you know during, during training times we're sleeping side by side during that time um so, so to have a companion there who was driven and had similar thoughts you know had similar thoughts and, and i guess like that word again driven like you as well that made the, your journey uh, there very interesting and it made it a great experience because you both were on that same page. You both wanted to do things. You wanted to get as strong as possible. 
and that's what that's what we were both were both there for. Um, you know, before class, I remember mm-hmm. we'd go in there, we'd be like, right, let's give it all we got. It was not like, oh, got to get this class done. No, it was like, right, let's get stronger, let's let's punch it out with these guys, mm-hmm. and that's how it was with mm-hmm. Nick in particular. When we trained together, we were really looking to uh, take that bar higher each time. And you know, must remember we were young kids, um, 19, 20. Aiden Nick was a, a one year younger than me, 18 years old. So to be like that, and um, I think that that's that's where you need to be if you want to, uh, I guess, uh, uh, not survive the tradition program, the wrong word, but to do, to fulfill it, to do it correctly, you must be that way. You must mm-hmm. be very driven, very, very driven. One thing I liked too about during the Uchideshi was when Sosa recognized your potent, your work ethic and Nicholas's work ethic during some of the 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 tournaments or I guess in 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 inner tournaments of Uchideshi. There's one part where you talk about where Sosa tells Nick famously, Nicholas, if you beat this one fighter using I guess if I remember correct, if I recall correctly a certain technique that I know you're capable of, I'll give you your third Dan on the spot. And so was Sosai known for like enticing the students when he recognized that if they really applied themselves that he could, he'll kind of, I guess, give them an extra reward for their efforts. Yes, absolutely. Uh, with that, I think it was with Nicholas when he was going for his shoulder and grading, mm-hmm. he needed to get a certain amount of Ippon mm-hmm. to and to and so side actually said to him right if you get this amount of ippon i'm going to give you your third dan and he was actually looking that way he was going ippon 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 wasari um and that's when i think so so i actually uh, had uh, stopped the proceedings of these of grading and said right if you keep going a few more i'm going to give you your third dan and i think i'm not sure whether you mentioned actually particular uh, particular technique you had to use but so so was very much that way absolutely if he he would be very proud of you and say, and he and who's going to go against Sosa? You must respect his word and, and always would be looking to bring the challenge up and bring the best best out of you. Um, Nick didn't end up doing that, but he would got very close. He would have gone so, so he would have gone from brown belt to third Dan. So the next chat, I think then a few more, he said, right, Nick, you're second Dan, but he just fell short, literally, and he got his he got his show down in flying colours. Flying colours. Yeah, but he was very close to doing that. He would have been the youngest third dan on the planet, eighteen years old. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. At the end, of, well, I mean, we'll look. We'll look based on how you describe it. It seems that he was so devoted because you guys also, and this leads to my next question. You know, you got like both of you and Nick talk about you know having a lack of a father figure. You know, Nicholas lost his dad at a young age. You you have your experience with yours. So describe to me the relationship that like the void that it that so so I kind of fixed if anything because he was always there for you yeah. and him yes absolutely yeah, absolutely so so was a, was like a father figure to both of us um nick um growing up without his father at a young age um myself having similar similar story to that so 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 would always say as well we're we're his children we're his boys mm-hmm. he was he would always say that about all the uchideshis not just uh the foreign uchideshis but, but the, of course the japanese uchideshis as well mm-hmm. he would say they're my boys, you're my boys. Um, and so you hearing these things and, and of course, so seeing him every day, you know, the reason why you are in Japan is because of Sosai. Mm-hmm. We're there because of Sosai, um, as a, you know, and so we looked at him as a, like, a, as a father, um, he would encourage us. He would, uh, 
always talked to us like we were his sons. But also there was, of course, that side to him where he was very open-hearted and, and you could see his beautiful personality. But also it was that strict strictness where, come on, guys, I expect you to step up here. And that's what fathers do. Fathers have that the, on, the, on their children is that different sides of uh, their character to get the best out of you, to be, you know, um, to be a supportive father. So he was very much that way. We, we looked at him, we looked, we looked up at him as a father. That's amazing. And there's even mm-hmm. times where you, where you almost talk about getting expelled from Uchideshi because you met some interesting characters, some uh, Israeli Uchideshis who were teaching you about the ways of uh, street business and uh what was that what was that ex- what was that experience like did you really did was there a fear thinking man i'm i'm that's it like i'm i'm, I'm done because all i was trying to do is just trying to make a little extra money selling some like purses or jewelry yeah no that's cool they weren't they weren't israeli Uchideshis, actually they were just outside students okay who were because it was only myself nicholas at that time that particular time in that story, there was just myself and Nicholas only as Uchideshi at that mm-hmm. particular time. That was during my that was during my third time as Uchideshi. So when you're uh, as a third as a third year student, I'm the senpai, I'm the senior senpai in the do- in the dormitory. So there's no there's no one overlooking me, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a senpai of the dormitory, you're also allowed to have off. Uh, you can you can roam, roam freely in and out of the dojo. I can go to the shops. I can go there without asking permission. I could do mm-hmm. anything I want to do, pretty much. You're running classes at the Hombu Dojo. It's almost like it's a it's a great time to be Uchideshi. Mm-hmm. You do have a lot of responsibilities in taking classes and 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 trying to guide the, the your juniors underneath you, but mm-hmm. you don't have the pressure of your seniors going. What, what are you doing? Where are you going? And you and as a as a as a junior as a kai, you're always mm-hmm. looking around. So I was a senior there, and I had free time up my sleeve, and Nick was a second Uchideshi, so he had time up his sleeve as well. So what we would do was a couple of times a week um, between uh, between sessions, we went and sold uh, at that particular time was like Louis Vuitton bags for these Israeli guys who would sell copies of his, uh, you know, I, I talk about it in the book. I was very honest about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was just a bit of the part of the story that I had to put in, I feel, to show that, you know, we're not all perfect. We make mistakes in yep. life. And this is, this is, it is, this is what it is, what it is. Um, so, yeah, we did that a, f- a few times a week to t- have it, make an extra bit of cash. And really what it was all about was so we could eat a little bit better because yes. we were so we were a little bit tired of the of the hombu food of uchideshi food it was very repetitive and we literally wanted to be able to go to the italian restaurant down the road and pig out and have an ice cream and buy maybe a t-shirt or, or do this or buy a new pair of runners to run and that's really what the reason was for so um we, we didn't really think we weren't really too nervous about getting caught because i think we didn't really think anything was too bad about it to tell you the truth mm-hmm. um you must remember we're young, naive kids. We're, this is all we knew was um, as finishing school, okay, went to the stock market, but straight into the uh, the dormitory, we didn't really have too many other worldly experiences. Um, so this was just, and being a tradition, you're just consumed in your own little world there. So for us to take a few hours out a couple of times a week, for us, to tell you the truth, I didn't think too badly of it. Um, but obviously I talk about it in the book where, where the police come to the dojo and say, right, Judd Reed, um, come with us. And then obviously, yeah, that, that all came down when I'm at the police station. Um, of course, so, so knew about what, what had happened. Um, and then it all came down on me like, what, if, okay, now I'm in a bit of trouble. Um, mm-hmm. Later on, I found out that so, so was actually calling up the police station 
pretty often every hour or so to try and get me out of the police station. Wow. He wanted me back in the dormitory. He used his his power, his influence, his, his um if not for Sosa, I believe I would have spent maybe a little bit of time in jail, as did the Israeli guys who 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 were doing this business. But we were just a small workers on the side. So it was it was a really bad choice. Yes. Um Soso made me write a letter. He was very disappointed in me, actually. Of course he was. Um, but he made me write a letter um, and he said, Judd, I want you to write down why why did you come to Japan? Why are you here? You know, what what is the what what, what made you, what, why are you here in Japan? Why do you want to be a Uchideshi? So I, I wrote in great detail and one of the Uchideshi Japanese helped me write this letter out and I just, you know, I just explained to him that was uh, kind of like to get back into the good books of social, I had to explain myself. Um, nice. Yeah, so that was that experience, which awesome. was uh, pretty full on. Yeah. Perfect. That's amazing. Well, look, we're all human. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm human too. I make plenty of mistakes too. And you, you just, you know, as a, as the Kyokushin way goes, you, you, you power on, you find a way to power on and can't, you can't let it get to you. You can't let it eat you well, because. Yeah. Still- well, let me, let me just, let me just expand on that story a little bit. Yeah. hundred percent. So, so I was just, and I remember I was standing up, I was standing in his office mm-hmm. and he called up the, the, uh, this, uh, the dormitory senpai, which was Minami senpai, who was supposed mm-hmm. to overlook all of us. But, mm-hmm. um, and he brought him up and he, and we we were both standing in front of him, and he said to Minami, my senpai, Minami senpai, he said to him, he said, to, I can't blame Judd for what he did. I mean, he's a young kid, he's a strong kid, he wants to get out to the world and experience a few different things. You know, maybe even, I think he even said, you know, he wants to have some girlfriends. He goes, I can't, I can't blame him for that. That's just natural to be that way. And he actually scolded Minami, he said, you should have more control on them. You should be, you know, looking at that to do what they're doing. Um, and had more, and he actually scolded him more than he did me. And I felt really bad for Minami. I felt really, really bad for Minami. And but this is the Japanese way; they would look for the senpais in in in, in on in senpai, your senpai, to control you, and they would give them mm-hmm. grief for not being able to control you. This is the Japanese way. Yeah, they won't. So. That was a little bit of a lesson as well. And I really apologized to Minami Senpai saying, sorry, I'm sorry I did this and, and such, you know, and um, that was that. That was that story. Yeah. But it was just uh, interesting that so uh, <laughs> blame, uh, put blame Minami just as much as I did. Um, just saying, no, I can't blame the young kid. But uh, that was, uh, yeah, a valuable lesson I learned, learned that day. That's amazing. Um, take it to the next question. So now on a positive note, when Uchi Deshi concluded, <laughs> You know, yes. looking back, you and Nicholas are of the last to do Uchi Deshi while Sosai was alive. So what did it feel like to a look? So this is a two part question. Yes. How did it feel when you accomplished it? But then now, as you look back in your uh, today, what does it mean that you were the last to do it when he was alive? Um, yeah, so it was a. It was my dream come true. So to have my dream come true and, and, to, and to complete the course, I was absolutely over the world, enlightened. Um, yeah, I was extremely happy and, and, and proud of like I'd I have come to, to do what I did. I did what I'd come to do. Um, so it was an extremely um, incredible time to graduate from a Ujideshi program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to I went to Sweden. A, a, about 10 days after my graduation, after the graduation, mm. actually, I did my third downgrading first 
uh, which was a week late, which which was about a week after the graduation. And then five days later, I went to Sweden. Um, I, I was um, I, I really needed to leave to, to Japan to uh, just to experience something new in life. So for me to graduate and then to go to Sweden to be able to teach karate in Sweden was a wonderful experience. At the same time, saying that though, that when I was in Sweden when I first went there, I was very uh, I was in a I was in a, a small I was in a house in a, in, the, in the basement of the house. And I arrived there middle of March, which was winter time in Sweden. So there was all snow outside. And I had remember thinking to myself, Judd, you've made a big mistake. You should have probably stayed in Japan again. And I actually felt that Sosai wanted me probably to stay in Japan again to just do another year at uh, Ujideshi. I felt that, but I, um, I, I needed to leave Japan. I needed to leave Japan. I needed to try to get out in the world and experience and have a new experience in life. Um, so saying that though, when I was in Sweden, I really missed my Uchideshi brothers. I was there alone in the basement by myself, uh, cold, lonely, thinking to myself, Judd, you've made a big mistake. Um, so it was, uh, actually even, even though I wanted that, I thought to myself, no, I want to be back with my Uchideshi brothers. So it's always, that's how things are in life, aren't they? When you're there, you don't realize how wonderful it is. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, let's get out and explore. But when you go to do that, you're thinking to yourself, no, I want to go back home. Um, so that was a, and that just shows you that it was a huge part of my life. And and just to suddenly stop being an Uchideshi and to be in a new uh, environment, it was a huge shock to the system. It was a huge shock to the system. And um, yeah, I really, and that just showed I really, Love my time in Japan, and I still I still look back on it fondly. For me, it's it's a it's easy to talk about my Uchidesh experience because it was such a wonderful memory. Um, even though it was such a long time ago, I just all that comes back is this incredible experience. Nothing bad to say about it. Just a, a wonderful experience. And if anyone can do live their dream, then you know, good for them. Yeah. So that's that's how I that's how I that's how I like to put it. So true. I I agree with everything you said there, and. It's tough because it's like, for example, I mean, the show's about you more than me, but I know what you mean. Like, you know, sometimes like when I was done training where a tough training, like uh, all the way down in Boucherville, where I trained with uh, Shian Pierre Cataford, it's like I want to go back to training. It's like I don't like because I live far away from the dojo, but I want to be there when I'm done a tournament. It's like it's like, OK, you got a time to relax, but I want to get back in the gym and be with all my training brothers, basically. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, people always say, oh, the good old days. And then when they get older, the, the, the old good old days comes again. These are the good old days right now that we're living. If you're right. living your dream and you love what you're doing, these are good old days. Don't look about, don't worry about the past. What you do right now is what matters. Because 30 years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to talk about this experience. So if you love what you're doing right now, which you should be doing, should love what you're doing, go with it. Channel exactly. that energy into what you're doing and just love every moment of it. I, I love what I, I, tell, I totally love what I, what I do. It's, uh, it's like, it's, it's like, I mean, I get to talk to someone like you of your stature, which is a huge honor, or I get to talk to those who are in like MMA, like UFC. I love what I do. And it's, it's cause it's like every, every time it's like, I get a big guest and it makes me want to raise the bar. And I got to say, looking back, man, it's like, I talked to, I spoke to like, say, for example, you were to, you were tend to share, like I was the first person wow. to get him on and to speak in I English. Yeah. I saw that. That was a great interview, by the way, too. I really enjoyed that interview. Good on you. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> I I, I want to. You're doing what you love to do, Drew. You, you're getting, you're putting it out there, mm -hmm. and you're making it happen. You know, 
and you'll love your questions. I want to, and I also want to give like a really big shout out because the people that really like backed me when I started were uh, Sandro Ferrante, who is a Kyokushin guy from Montreal, yes. uh, KRT Tips and Tricks, Marshall Way, and one Kyokushin. They, oh, yeah. they, like, they, like, those guys, and Terry, she and Terry from Real Talk to when I had him on, like, Terry was like telling me, like, you know, he's like, don't ever let anyone tell you like you're obsessed. He's like, it's good that you're obsessed He's like, because we need that in Kyokushin. We need, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need that. 100%. Well, that's just the word we we're using before, wasn't it? The yeah. adjective obsession. You mm-hmm. need that. You can't just go uh, get around going, oh, just think to yourself, it's going to happen. you got to make it happen. Yeah. The future. Yeah. Good on you, man. You should actually do something with Terry and Scott. It's in the works. It's in the works. Uh-huh. I can't confirm. We're working on it. It's uh, It's just about the scheduling, but. I, it's good. like it's like you have to love what you do. Like, like for example, if I was having a conversation with you, would you rather me like with how I am right now, like where we're engaged and we're flowing, or would you rather like so like it's like I get like a like I get like a book here. I'm like so so Jude, can you just tell me about like no, you don't want that. You want the die. You want the the passion. You want the you want the fire. You know, there's a there's a, a TV combinator called Michael Chafalo. Do you know yes. what I'm talking about? It's on yes. one championship. And his voice is amazing. They call him the voice. And he just, when he speaks, he just gets you pumped up. He could be talking about making porridge and avocado for breakfast. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, my God, I've got to go and make that right now. So he's, he's what energy that he puts out, his enthusiasm is uh, is contagious. You want to, you know, it's yeah. spreads, yeah? You that's got it. it. That's it spreads. It. It's like a disease, but a good disease. It spreads like a good 100%. disease. That's it. True. Yeah, exactly. You, so I want to ask you, too. Um, so. Mm. This is a so this question, like I had to really I had to put mm-hmm. some thought into it because this is what you're known for. You did the hundred man kumite. So yes. you get your yondan, and it's funny. It's a miracle. I remember there's yondan, and because then after yondan, it's godan, but I always forget there's yondan in between. So you got your yondan, <laughs> and what made you want to do the the 100 man kumite to get that godan? Like what went what what was the motivations and the reason yep. to do that? Yes. So actually, um, so I had I had just won the 2010 WKO heavyweight mm-hmm. tournament, um, and I was 39 years of age at that time, and mm-hmm. it, and it was the strongest I ever felt at any at any particular time. Stronger mm-hmm. and fitter and faster than I had felt when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very motivated. I had, didn't have any injuries, um, and I, I I actually wanted to get more into I was doing a lot. We're doing a fair bit of kickboxing as well at that particular time in Thailand. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, I wanted to venture on into MMA or mm-hmm. more kickboxing. I was just looking for something different. I just wanted mm-hmm. to, I wanted to, I wanted to fight. I wanted to challenge myself. Um, but but what, and how it all came about was that my teacher at that time, uh, Robert Robert McGuinness, Robert McGuinness, he said, Judd, why don't you do the hundred man kumite? Um, and I first thing I said to him was, no way. I don't, I don't want to do that. Because I had been a part of it when Masada Kida did his 100-man commentary in 1991, I had fought him two times. So I had seen with my own eyes and about what the, this incredible event is about. Mm-hmm. He almost, I mean, he was a punching bag. At the end, he looked like he was, he was just on the verge of death. He, what he went, put himself through was just insane. I've never seen anything like that. So, of course, when someone says, Judd, why don't you do that? My instant reaction is, no, thank you. I cannot do it. And I was very realistic with, um, with myself. And I thought, I, I don't want to do that. I wanted to do other things. I, then the reason why this came about was because I spoke to my friend Anton about this. I said, oh, my teacher's uh, 
So he was putting pressure. He's asking me to do the hundred man kumite and such, and he, and then he says, Chad, why don't you do it? This will be something you know that um, be a great experience and something that um, you know he actually believed that I could do it. He had faith in me. I didn't have faith in myself that I could do it. I was I was realistic. I said no. Um, so I kept saying no, 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 no. But it wasn't until literally a couple of months later. Um, that my, my friend Anton had been through, their family had been through a hard time and through everything else that was going on, I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do this for my friends and my family. And I had this, this, diff- had, had this different feeling about this particular one where I wanted to represent more people, represent my friends and family um, in doing this event, where before it was more about the tournaments. No, it's just me. I didn't really think about anything else by that but this was a different feeling where I wanted to represent more people and and show show something that was show that you, you can do something if you put your mind to it um so that's really how it came about was just that talking with my friends and talking with my family as well and hearing that they had belief in me that I could do it they gave me belief I could do it because I didn't believe I could do it I was I was realistic I said no I can't do it but them saying to me Chad you're the strongest I've ever seen you you're fit you're determined you're driven so hearing that message and then once I got in my head, right, like, okay, yes, I'm going to do it, and that's when I committed myself 100%. So really mm-hmm. it came through that way, through my friends and family telling me that I could do it. And then when they planted that seed in my head, I planted it more deeply in my head and say, right, I'm going to do it. And then I just dedicated myself to the, the training it's, like that. Yeah, and what I noticed too, so this is something that I wanted to ask you because I've watched a documentary. This is like when I was before, like I had the podcast before, like I became the Drew Spirit before I became the Drew Spirits. But so you're gonna correct, you're gonna have to correct me here if I get the wording wrong. So they That's show okay. like about a lot. They'll show the first fights on air. They show like fights, but then after that, they stop showing it. What is yes. the reason behind not showing the last remaining fights? Is it be is it out of respect for you, or is it a Japanese tradition? Oh no, no, no! That's because that's the way the DVDs DVDs done, isn't it? it? It goes up. I mean, you must remember it's a documentary, so we're trying to we're trying to hype it up and trying to make it into an interesting story. So I think that what it showed was just this, the little bit was the last me just then in there fight number ninety nine in my corner, and I'm look like I'm a mess, look like I'm about to faint, mm-hmm. and you have Nicholas saying one more, one more. And you see me with you know sweat pouring down my head. I'm about to fall over. They're trying to keep me standing, and I'm really hanging in there. Bang! Stops there. Then it goes into my life in Thailand. Uh, you know, going to my apartment and showing all the you know about what I'm living in Thailand and my preparation. So the reason why behind that was really just to get everyone pumped and to say, right, this is where it was at. We know that he got there. Now let's go to what happened before that his preparation and training in Thailand. So I think that was a nice way of doing it. It really was uh, just, a, you know, just making an interesting documentary. Um, I'm very lucky to have that documentary. Um, my best friend, Anton Kapka, he 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 uh, produced it, directed it. He did everything. He He's everything behind that. And he's my, you know, my dear friend, you know, that he passed away. So I'm very fortunate to have um, that documentary. It's something that my son, I guess, and it will be around forever. Obviously, the Young Lions book and the Ronin Years is, is all because of Anton mm-hmm. as well. We worked on both of those books before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so have that documentary that Anton did for me. Is, um, I hold that dear to my heart and the, and the, especially the books, which we weren't able to complete together, but I was able to 
with Norm Schreiber, get the books over the line and, and uh, produce these two books. And it's all because of Anton and Anton Kafka and Norm Schreiber that these that these that mm-hmm. I have these books. Um, and you know, like you know, in a book, you can you go into a lot more details. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a reader, you can start to imagine what you're talking about. You know, you, you're using a lot of dialogue. You use a lot of adjectives, as they say, to different adjectives to get you pumped up and get create enthusiasm in the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, to have to put so to put all that out, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, very lucky to have these things with, the, with, with me. That's amazing. And how has it been? Because we, the Young Lions, the book was a success. The documentary was a success. And then the Ronin years when it came out, it was like, because when, when I tried getting you on the show last year, they're like, look, I'm launching the Ronin years. Let's wait until it comes out. So how is the, what's the feedback been like? And how how's the, the sales been for the Ronin years? No, th- and thank you, Drew, for bringing it up. Um, the Ronin years are doing really good. A lot of people have actually said that they 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 prefer the the Ronin years over the Young Lions, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, the way I think of it, the Ronin, the the Young the Young Lions is like a it's documented history, so to speak. I just talk about it's almost like a history thing. This is what mm-hmm. happened. This is what happened. But um, in the Ronin years, it's more I go in detail about my. Uh, ups and downs as a human being it talks about my i i did i discuss a lot about what's going through my head um i talk about the hundred man fight and my preparation and uh, it's over a 20 year period um so there's a it's a lot more detail and a lot more stories involved a lot of human stories a lot of uh incredible happy uh, adventures but also a lot of a bit of sadness as well um in the book um, and just how I overcame that sadness, how I came overcame something very tragic in my life that happened, and to bounce back from that, and and to and to make really good of of uh, after that, so to speak. I'm not going to say too much about that. So, and that's what we are as human beings. I think as a human, we can, we all can relate to the Ronin years because we all have that uh, uh, fighter in us. Mm-hmm. But also along the way, we have ups and ups and downs, and, and how we deal with it is, is so important. And I think the Ronin years. Shows you how I dealt with it and what I did, um, and I'm lucky to have that. And I feel that if, if it can inspire some people along the way, um, and they can draw something from that, and they can see themselves in that situation, and, and they want to do good from that, and, and and be inspired and 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 push on with life, I, I'm be, I'm so happy that's possible to do that. So for me, the Ronies is very much more personal, much more, much more personal. Um, and it's a uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's only, it was only out. Yeah, since last year, but it's doing really well. It's doing it's doing well. Thank you, thank you for asking. No problem. Make sure to get a copy. Of where where is it? Where is it? What sort of? Where is it available? Uh, yeah, you can get it on Amazon as well. You can get it on Amazon, or you can buy it directly through me. Um, yeah, it's on Amazon. It can it can it's on uh, what do you call Kind? Uh, what's it called? Kindle. Um, you can buy Amazon through direct, or you can you can get it through me on my website. Yeah. Perfect. Make sure to get your copy if you really love martial arts and <laughs> Kyokushin in general. It's like I'm giving ad reads while we do it. That's how we do it. It's it's on it's how you do it. Once you get good at this, you figure out little ways to get a little side combo in That's there. Um, yeah. yeah you gotta do it. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, I want to ask you also. So here's something that not many people are that not, you did something that's very bold. Okay, like it takes it takes brass balls to do this. You went to Thailand to do Kyokushin, which is a Muay Thai hotbed. What was that experience like to run your your dojo in Thailand? That's like, first of all, I, I'm giving like I'm being serious. This is a, a an applaud because it's known as Muay Thai, and you were the first one, from what I understand, 
to do a Kyokushin school in Thailand. That's that's amazing. Okay, that's uh, that's not exactly how it how it went down. <laughs> but I'll, because you haven't read the Roni years, but I'll, I'll explain it to you. Yeah. Um, so I, I I moved to Thailand in two thousand and six. And, and and I went there to actually to get more involved in Muay Thai and kickboxing. I wanted to have mm-hmm. some more fights there. Um, I was told that when to go there, I was to, I was to go to a gym there run by uh, his name is called Sifa Robert McGuinness, and he had his own martial arts there. He had a, it was called Sergi Do. Um, it's kind of like it was like a, I guess a basically an MMA kind of style, which covered a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was told to go there and and train there and and. That he also had a very famous Muay Thai fighter called Sokmon Kong, mm-hmm. um, which is a, which is a Muay Thai legend. He had a lot of other, other great people around him, Nick Kara, Mutt, um, and other Thai trainers who were just absolutely amazing. So he had a world class gym and, and incredible standard of fighters who trained there. So when I went there, this I, when I arrived there and, and I was doing the Muay Thai as well, and I thought this is fantastic. This is exactly what I wanted to be, what, what, I, wanted, what I wanted to, to do. But when I was there, so uh, uh, sorry. Uh, Sifu, he showed interest in what he knew. Obviously, he knew what Kyokushin Karate was about. Um, so he he wanted me to be more involved in his karate classes and and start taking his classes and build up his his younger kids to take them to Japan and fight. Basically, putting it putting it like that. So he wanted me to bring something new to his style of fighting to get a strong team, build up his strong youth to take them to Japan to fight in the Kyokushin tournaments because he had never been involved in that, but he wanted to go that direction. So I had a huge imp- I guess you could say I had a big influence on his on his way of teaching and I changed his methods, I guess you could say a little bit of what he was doing at that time. Um, so it wasn't my school, it was his school. I was just an in- uh, an instructor there. It was a fantastic job. It was a great opportunity uh, where I was able to train full time, learn a new learn new things um, and and build up these younger kids to be able to take them to fight to Japan. Um, it was, you know, I talk about. I mean, there was a lot that happened during that time. I also worked with the the uh, the Padia SWAT anti-terrorism unit team as well, there for a number of years, which I talk about in the uh, in the Ronin years. Mm-hmm. So for me, just to get up and go to leave Australia, then to be in Thailand to uh, start to take his some of his classes and to build up his kids to suddenly being involved in an anti-terrorism unit as well which we did for three years, um, that was a whole other experience in itself. Um, so that was, a yeah, I, I really go into detail about that particular time. So there is a, an, an Aussie guy, you know, jumping off buildings for, you know, abseiling down buildings and doing different scenarios that a, uh, that a, uh, a, a policeman or a soldier in that particular unit would be practising. We do all these different kind of mm-hmm. things. Um, to training in the afternoon, to training in the evening. It was all revolved around training, and that was such a different lifetime and different experience that, uh, yeah, I, even sometimes about that particular thing with working with the police, even me, I, I look at me and go, that was pretty crazy. It was pretty nuts. Yeah. You were James Bond. You could have been the second <laughs> Australian James Bond because there's George Lazenby. So you could have gone around saying like, like they could have made you, they could have made like some Thai film with you as like the second Australian James Bond. <laughs> well, it was just, it was just nuts. I was just actually thinking to myself, well, what is going on? And how life is like so strange that way that you don't know what's around the corner yet. But like we said before, if you open opportunities for you and you put yourself out there, anything is possible to do. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's totally true. So then recently you brought back your operations um, to Australia. 
And yes. now you're you have Chikara Dojo in Australia. You're running tournaments. What's the day to day operations like now? Because now you have some fighters that are representing you, and these aren't just Australians. Like you're telling me about one of them from Iran that I wanted to mm-hmm. ask about. Like one Kyokushin has been promoting this guy very hard. Now you have him under you. His name is uh, Isan. Yeah. What's that yes. been like to like? Yeah. What's it been like to get these international fighters coming to you? Yeah, well, Isan, um, they contacted me from Iran, and and um, we were in contact, and he had sent me, sent me videos of himself fighting in some kickboxing fights over there. Mm-hmm. And Iranians, as you know, they're such tough kickboxing competitors. They're some of the strongest fighters in the world. The Iranians are. They really are. Just that they don't get sometimes the experience of traveling international because sometimes it's difficult to travel. But I fought a, a number of times, a number of Iranian fighters, and everyone knows that when you fight an Iranian fighter, you go on the war. They are tough. And they just train specifically just to compete um, in Kyokushin tournaments. So they contacted me, and he also had a, a few MMA fighters, and I had known a little bit of them and looked into them. So they wanted to fight. They wanted to fight uh, internationally. So I, I literally just set it up with them with the Senshin, Senshin uh, kickboxing organization, and they said, "Yep, we'll, we'll accept him. He's a good kid." And he went over there and fought, and he did very well. Okay, he lost in the second round, but he showed. If you saw the video, he showed a lot of heart. He's a tough, tough boy. So he's got a big future in front of him. Um, and maybe potentially, I'm no, I'm actually not potentially, he will be fighting other events soon again. I actually have I actually have an event coming up in 10 days' time, March 26th, and it's um, a Chikata tournament. And what we're doing is that we're having a kids' fight in the morning where they just uh, have won matches, and then I make an evening event. And I try to make it a special prestigious event where we actually have tables set around with food and we make it into, into a bit of an event, a bit of a show. And then there are eight fights in that night. Of these eight fights, three of them are going to be kickboxing fights. But I'm not calling it kickboxing. I'm calling it Chikara Full Contact Karate. But basically it's kickboxing. So three of my students will be fighting three uh, uh, kickboxing fighters from another gym. And they come from a very good source, very good fighters, young lads. Um, so that's going to be very interesting. So we're going to have five Kyokushin fights and three kickboxing fights. Um, and it's basically going to be Kyokushin. I'm going to be uh, promoting a little bit more this week versus kickboxing. And as we know, with uh, in Japan, when the Kyokushin versus kickboxing, yeah. the Kyokushin boys are just absolutely legends and what they what they were able to do. Yeah, they gave it to the best. They stood up to the best in the world, stood up to the best in the world and, and were able to win. Uh, absolutely incredible at and it's not at their, not at their, uh, not in their art, but in kickboxing art. So, for me to be able to do this in Australia to show this and to showcase our incredible young talent and incredible young spirited fighters, and to put it at the challenge, this is going to be a great night, and you're going to see that the spirit of these guys, but also the technical side skill of them is, is amazing as well. And it's going to be very exciting to see him, yeah, fight in this tournament in ten days' time. I love what I see coming out of Australia and like Australia is, it's, is also, I think um, if you're in Quebec, Canada, it's a Kyokushin hotbed. If you're in Russia, Kyokushin hotbed, Japan hotbed, Australia too has a lot of talent, such as like yourself, like with the guys that you have representing you, you have uh, Sheehan Cameron Quinn with some of his guys, yes. such as Sensei Ben Adjaman, who will yes. be coming on the show soon too. Sensei Patrick Pinto, who's also yes. competed. Uh, Nazar uh, Kassab, who was uh, yeah, another yeah. one. Yeah, there's yeah. so much. There's yeah. so many guys coming up from down under. And of course, Jer- uh, uh, Gary O'Neill, who my yes, Sheehan constantly talks about, about how like his 
spinning wheel kick and the technique is so beautiful. So beautiful. Well, well Gary O'Neill is a karate genius. Mm-hmm. He's literally a karate absolute legend genius. And he he was able to fight opponents 20, 30 kilos heavier and just you know run rings around them and made them. And the bigger the opponent, the better he did. He was scary, just an absolute incredible. Some people have that threshold. They just love pushing the envelope. And when they see a challenge, it, it makes it brings out their best. It's, it doesn't matter. So that's, that's why, yeah, he's a genius. And that's why he's like highly sought after. It's just too bad. He's off the grid though. Cause like no one he's knows where he is. Yeah, he's off. He's the grid. Gone, I, he's gone. <laughs> I know where he is, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, we actually had him at a camp two years ago, mm-hmm. two and a half years ago. I think it was with, uh, with Peter Graham, Peter Graham, Gary, Sheehan, uh, Cameron, uh, Sheehan Cameron and myself, we did a fantastic, we did a, we did a camp two and a half years ago. And it was awesome. It was awesome to have him all there, but yeah, Gary's, uh, if we can, whenever we can get him and be a part of having as, as at the camp is a, is a, is a huge, uh, huge blessing, I guess you can say, because he's oh, amazing. Yeah. He's just incredible. He's just incredible. And there's also another guy too that because I used to call myself because before. I joined my organization when I came back. I was calling myself a nomad. And then Nicholas was like, he's like, you think you're a nomad? Nick's like, you should look at Wally Schnau- uh, Wally. Oh, yeah. yeah a Wally, real Wally nomad. Like, yeah, Wally Schnaubelt was like, go to IKO1, leave, oh, yeah. go into another organization to fight their top guy, then come back. Oh. And like no one would say anything to him. Like that's a that's another legend that that's Walter like, Schnellbutt was absolutely a legend. He is a five or six time Australian heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. He lived at he lived with us numerous times during the Uchideshi time. Strong man, tough. And like you said, he he literally traveled the world and he went to he went to Russia to fight, he went to Brazil to fight, he went to Europe. He went everywhere and he just and he would spend time at these dojos and they love Wally, such a lovely man, such a spirit of fighter. But he literally traveled the world and to fight and to, to live and breathe karate. Um, incredible. He fought Sam Greco at the Singaporean tournament, 1992, I think it was, and beat Sam Greco in the in the final. Um, it just shows you that he, he's totally world class, incredible athlete, incredible spirit of fighter. And now he's a, a politician in Papua New Guinea. You know, mm-hmm. I don't hear much of him. But I know he's very much involved in the politics in Papua New Guinea. He's probably going to end up being a prime minister one day. I bet Whoa. you he does. Well, his uncle was. His uncle was a prime minister of Papua New Guinea 30 years ago. The very famous, uh, I've, got, I've forgotten his name. He was a prime minister for 25 years. Mm-hmm. So this is in his blood. This is in his family. He, he knows all about this. So he's a, he's a warrior. He's yeah. a, and I'm sure they love him there. I'm sure that the Papua New Guineans absolutely love him there. They love it. They love it. You know, so yeah. says Jan Jude, you know, I know you're, you're tight for time. So the last question is, um, what is the goal for 2022 and beyond now that we're yeah. somewhat Good. coming nice out of question, Drew. I love that question because you know what, like we're saying, it's metal. It's about what we're doing now yes. and we've got to, we've got to keep busy. And so for me, I'm just like, right, we've got to do as many, we're going to do tournaments. We're going to do camps. We're going to do seminars. We've got to build up the student base. Mm-hmm. That's it. We, I, I'm very lucky to have a full-time dojo here where we on these schools. I've got it's, got it's a nice family area. So me now it's about building up numbers and building up a, a stronger youth, stronger for the future. That's for me, it's all about that. Um, putting on prestigious tournaments so people know about Kyokushin Karate, or now we're getting involved with kickboxing as well, and just getting the name out there even more. Having camps where we can all get together and train together, learn from each other. Awesome. For me, it's all just like that. Now, foot to the metal and just go, 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 go. We're well, making up. A, we're making up a lost time. We've got to. We've got to. We've got to get busy. 
Exactly. Well, look, I mean, I mean, I got to ask my shoe, but if, if you're ever in Canada, especially in oh, Quebec, yeah. let's just say you come down and if you ever want to come to my dojo, I can, uh, I can definitely set that up with uh, Shia awesome. and Pierre. I'll talk to him about it. Uh, yes. but he, he knows about, he knows about, uh, about you and he says very high speaks very high regards about you so yeah so like the more the more like the more that we get the great minds together for seminars and for camps it's just going to help grow the art that sosai wanted because we need to do a better job of be, be like look i love to see what brazilian jiu-jitsu does as they're, they're the global art but so are we we have to do our job to raise the bar in any way possible good on you drew that's exactly it well done mate well done, Drew. Now, 100%. Please pass my best regards on to your teacher, to your Shihan. But exactly what you just said then. That's awesome, mate. Good message. Thank you. Good message. So, Shihan, Jude, where can people connect with you if they want to, like, just talk Kyokushin or whatnot? Yeah. So, I just have my social media social media pages. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm on Instagram as well. Um, yeah. On YouTube, I have, I have a YouTube channel called Judwe Shikara. Okay. Um, I can't answer on that one. Um, I don't know how to anyway this how set up there, but uh, yeah, I have those things set up, those social media sites set up. I'm very, I'm easy to contact. You can shoot me, shoot me a message somewhere or another. I'm just Judd, man. I'm just here in Melbourne. Um, anyone who's in Melbourne, you're welcome to come to my dojo. And Drew, yourself, come to Australia. Thank you. And I will have a hang out with sometime. Listen, I'm, the plan is okay. So this is the plan, okay? I'm going to tell you what it is, okay? The plan is in the next year or so, because now I get like three weeks vacation where I work, yay, and I get a day added every year. So the goal is to do Europe first, because I owe Wesley and Darren a visit of KRT, so I got to visit them first. Then I want to do Australia, because I have to. I'll come to you. I, I'd love to do training with you. I want to meet the Absolutely. man himself, Shian Cameron, Sensei Pat, because yes. I know yes. Pat and you are in the same city, so that's yes. great. Yes. And yeah, that's the plan. You know, I got to. That sounds the, awesome. Yeah. Got to grow the show. The show. This is for the long term. It's not a niche. We grow the community. It's the show that's 80% yeah. combat sports and 20% awesome. everything else. Awesome, Drew. That's the spirit, mate. Now, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You got me all pumped up. I'm, <clears throat> I'm just about to start a class now. So with that note, you got me all pumped up, Drew. And thank you. It was a, great to talk to you, my man. You too. I'm glad we could do this. It was a huge honor to do it. A huge no, privilege. No, no, a lot of people have been waiting for this episode for a Thank long, you, long time. So I'm glad we could Thank do you. it. I loved doing it with you. And if you ever want to come on again, doors always open. Awesome. Thank you, Drew. Thank you for thank, thank you. you for your time. Thank you for making this happen. What's mine?